Howdy, folks. Golly, do we have a doozy for you today. It's the story of Jim Varney. He was one heck of a versatile performer. The man could go from Shakespeare to slapstick like green grass through a goose. In the 80s and 90s, his commercials, TV shows, and movies were everywhere. His signature character, Ernest P. Worrell, captured the hearts of millions with his hilarious antics, lovable personality, and memorable catchphrases. Know what I mean? But like any great ride, it ended far too soon. This episode will be filled with laughs, gasps, and plenty of nostalgia. And hey, Vern, you might want to have your hanky nearby, because there's also going to be some tears. Stay tuned for death in entertainment. Know what I mean? Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. <gasps> what do you call this thing anyway? Death in entertainment. Hello, 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 Dipod Universe. We are here in steamy Los Angeles right now. Steamy. Very steamy Los Angeles. Wicked steamy, dude. Steamy in here. Yes. yes. We got a steamy episode. Ooh, nice. Coming right at you. What's going on, everybody? My name's Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairn. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And today we have the uh, crazy life story of Mr. Jim Varney, know a.k.a. I mean? Ernest. Know what I mean? Know what know I mean, mean Vern? <laughs> <laughs> I jumped the gun on that. Know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Didn't, wasn't symbiotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's all right. We're going to feel it out. We're going to get there. Yeah. You know, we'll are you, ease into it. Are you with us, Dados? You getting comfortable? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll add that in later. <laughs> and it's strange. Pee Wee died today. Yeah, Pee Wee yeah. and Angus Cloud both passed away today, so RIP to those guys. A lot of uh, great comedic characters died today. But yeah. this episode is about a <laughs> I don't comedic... know about Angus Cloud being a comedic character. He, he was comic relief <laughs> was in, he? in Euphoria. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Okay, so He's never good. mind. Alejandro, what are you going to say? <laughs> no, um, I was just thinking about Pee Wee, Paul Rubens, because Jim Varney was a very popular children's entertainer. Mm-hmm. That sounded bad. He had a kid's show. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. <laughs> that, that was part of his demo. I think he was a more PG, you know, comedic personality. Yes. Yeah. And Pee Wee kind of was too, but he seemed like weirdly sinister. There was like a, I don't know, there was something that appealed to adults too with Pee Wee. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh, just yeah. so out there. It was amazing. Yeah. And his dick was out there too. Yeah. He had a very <laughs> adult <laughs> moment in a movie theater one time. Yeah. That was not for kids. I think yeah. he had, that was a bad rap. It was in a porn theater. Yes. Yes. And so it's not as bad as we all thought it was. Yeah. Jack Nicholson did that into the departed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, uh, he just improvised that. He was, jer- he was actually jerking off in the uh, theater. There we go. And it was Florida. So yes. I think it was a misunderstanding. He was just trying to air out his junk. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking and of then, steamy, yeah. You know, the flashlight was on him, and there you go. Cover a Rolling Stone. There yes. you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything goes in Florida, and we are going to go <laughs> to February 10th, 2000. All right. Well, Mark. Can you tell us what was on TV the night of Thursday, February 10th, 2000? I would love to, Alejandro. Okay, so 
ABC on their lineup, they have Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh, that was everywhere for a while. Yeah. Was Aisha Tyler guest hosting this version? I think this she was, was still great. Drew Carey. Okay. Yeah. This is prime time. Mm. I, I never watched this show, but some people, like the improv purists, hate this short form nonsense. <laughs> Boy, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you trying to tell me that improv people don't like Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. Well, the, it I, seems I, like it would be their show. This is for the layman's <laughs> right. out there. Yeah. It, there's there's different schools of improv, literally and, you know, <laughs> academically. Like, yeah. I'm a comedy geek, but I hate SNL. Yes, exactly. Uh, if you're a purist. The other big show right now is Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Ah. Is that your final answer? <laughs> <laughs> CBS was Diagnosis Murder. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know what was in, who was in that or what it was all about. but That's the one with Dick Van Dyke. Oh, okay. It was a... Watch your mouth. <laughs> it was a murder keep show it clean here. for old people. Oh, okay. All right. Um, also, Chicago Hope. And that was a hospital show for old people. Was that Dermot Mulroney? Was it Mulmut Mulroney? <laughs> like, was it one Why of those guys in it? Yeah. Dermot Mulroney or the other guy that looks like him, but he's Dermot not. Dermot Mulroney? You're thinking of the movie Copycat. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> who cares? It was an ER ripoff, it seems. Yeah. Well, let's, who cares about that? But <laughs> okay. I want to talk about. Must see TV on NBC. Oh, we are flipping the dial to must see TV. Yeah, which is, you know, this is like the tail end of the really good must see TV. Yeah. You know, I think at this point, Seinfeld's off the air. Friends, I think it was just wrapping up. That's still on TV. Uh, Jesse, which I believe was the Christina Applegate show. Correct. I think that kind of went nowhere eventually. That's what they did with nowhere shows. They put it in the slot after Friends. Really? Yeah. Just to give it some notoriety, get it some eyeballs. Yeah. And yeah. those shows always died. I think that's where they put like the single guy. Yeah, the Jonathan John- Silverman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we always talk about that show yeah. because we hate it so much. And <laughs> I watched it though, but I watched it too because it was on right after Friends. Right. Um and I was used to watching Seinfeld. Um Frasier is still on TV. I didn't know it was still on in two thousand. Still though, that's the Seinfeld replacement. I know. That's such a weak replacement. Get out of here. Well, that's why they offered Seinfeld like $30 million an episode or something. I guess the executive Warren Littlefield like basically told Seinfeld he'd give him whatever. Please stay. Yeah, please stay. We have All we have is Frasier and Jesse and Stark raving mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe Doogie Howser yeah. was in Stark raving mad. Oh, was oh. he? Uh, yeah. Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah. Yeah. Before he was, you know. Gay. Sounds like more no. like Stark raving No, socks. I meant before he was on How I Met Your Mother. Kyle. Yes, yes, that too. Yeah. He wasn't out of the closet yet, though. So. Yeah. Kyle but he is kind of right. was on NBC Must See TV. <laughs> yeah, technically. But it's not the same Must See TV. Yeah. Uh, movies in February of 2000. Number 11. The week of February 10th. No less. Number 11. Toy Story 2. Had grossed over two hundred million at this point, and you know it's a big movie because Jim Varney is one of the main characters. So oh. this is another episode where our subject is in the pop culture flash. Yeah, Slinky Dog, he's got his own roller coaster in Disney World. Oh, fun fact for you. Yeah, from a Disney adult. Yes, number two, The Hurricane. The Hurricane. Ooh, I don't remember that at all. That's Denzel Washington. 
Oh, about oh. Hurricane Ruben Carter, who was in jail. He was wrongfully accused. There's a right. Bob Dylan song that very well documents this entire case. Um, yeah. Also from the Matthew McConaughey movie that I can't think of right now. Um, Time to Kill? No, about the high school, all the kids in high school. Days of Confused? Days of Confused. Yeah. Hurricane was in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forget that Very part. prominently. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I guess I need to rewatch it then. Yeah. I just remember... Slow ride, dun, dun. take it easy. Yeah, great soundtrack. You'd never be able to get a soundtrack like that in a movie ever again. Speaking of great soundtracks, <laughs> the number one movie at this time, Scream 3. You had the soundtrack? Huge soundtrack for me. Scream th- number three. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to make sure I'm not confusing it. Was with it like two. System of a Down on it or something? Oh, yeah, it is. It is the one that I thought. Okay, what's on it? You got uh, Crawl by Stained, Wait and Bleed by Slipknot. What if by Creed? What? Uh, System <laughs> of a Down is in if? here too. Wait and bleed while listening to this thing. <laughs> Spiders by System of a Down. Dissension by Orgy. Oof. These were all such huge songs for me back in the day. Dissension. That pretty much sums up Scream 3. Crowded Elevator by Incubus. Ooh. Wow. Incubus uh, B sides. <laughs> crowded <laughs> Elevator getting out of there. <laughs> People couldn't get out of there quick enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scream 3, not one of the best screams, but. But it was do? the third one. It was the third one. <laughs> <laughs> it did qualify as a scream movie. <laughs> and there's some other movies that we're going to talk about today. Yes. As we head into the Varney Zone. All right. June 15th, 1949, Lexington, Kentucky. Jim Varney Jr. was born to Louise and Jim Varney Sr. Oh. Know what I mean? <laughs> That's the first of many know what I means? Yeah. In this episode. I was just born, Vern. What do you, you know what I mean? He had three older sisters. Can you imagine that? And they were taking care of him from an early age. Well. I mean, obviously, because... He started out as a baby. (laughs) So Jim Varney Jr. had asthma, and he had so much trouble breathing that he would occasionally break blood vessels in his eyes. How does that happen? The doctor told Jim's parents that he would outgrow his asthma, but would probably have problems with his lungs. Foreshadow. His condition improved as he got older, though, so all was good in the universe. And he was not known to use an inhaler at any point. Is it like, should he have been doing that? Or is he just decided, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that, Vern. I'm not messing with inhalers. <laughs> like, he just decided not to? Yeah, I guess it just kind of faded away as he got older, so there was no need. I was forced to take a, an inhaler. I had asthma when I was a kid. I haven't used an inhaler since I was, like, 12 years old. But oh, have okay. you ever had those moments where you're like, I, I cannot breathe anymore. I have a problem right now. Anytime I'm near, like, Freshly cut grass, I can't breathe. Like, I can't even get really? air into my lungs. Wow. Yeah, it's You're just, crazy. like, wheezing like crazy? Yeah, I'm just like, fuck, I can't take a deep breath. I have to, like, get away from the area. 
Because that's one of my favorite things, freshly oh. cut grass. Oh, I yeah, can't. I love that smell. I can't do it. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I love a nice suburban morning. You know, oh, with yeah. Cut grass, yeah. <laughs> and gasoline. Can you oh, have yeah. gasoline? Yes. yes. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm back in. I'm back in. <laughs> <laughs> you lost us for a second, though. <laughs> Jim Sr. was an Appalachian coal miner before joining the Army, and then he earned a living through multiple odd jobs, including starting a little business called the Varney Parkers. Wow. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, KFC or something <laughs> <laughs> where they would park people's cars wow at events oh that's great jim jr was fascinated by his dad's collection of knives swords and watches that he collected from the philippines and hawaii this was actually how he connected with his dad because jim wasn't much of an athlete and his dad was okay in fact jim senior was heavy into boxing or should i say heavy weight into boxing. Ooh, he was a big boy? Like a butterball? You know, he had some muscle on him. Yeah. And he would also train boxers. Oh. Uh, so he got hit in the head too much and totally missed out on the Varney Valets instead of the Varney Parkers. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been high class. <laughs> well, this is Kentucky. Yeah, it was like it was right there for him, the Varney Valets. Yeah. Okay. But that sounds too that sounds too French for people down there in Kentucky. Maybe. That's true, yeah. Yeah. We're Lavarney Parker down here. Yeah, you don't valet a you truck. French piece of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. This is the South. Yeah. True. We believe in freedom. Yeah. <laughs> and dry, and parking like shit. Freedom isn't free and neither is parking. Yeah. Pay up. Frenchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go even further and call myself the Parker Pig. Parker oh, Pig. Okay. Nice. I'm sure this was all brainstorm when they came up with this idea. Parky Pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jim's mom, Louise, was a depressed hypochondriac, but outwardly appeared as the perfect housewife. It got so serious that she was admitted to a mental hospital and given electroshock therapy on multiple occasions. Jeez. That's never good. And coincidentally, this is one of the subplots in the movie The Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, shit. Which Jim Varney starred in. He did. Wait, but he didn't have input to put this storyline within The Beverly Hillbillies, did he? It's based on his life. Really? Shut up. (laughs) You guys are too easy. Alejandro and his fake facts. (laughs) I just noticed that similarity because there's a big scene where granny gets electrocuted and it's hilarious <laughs> i just thought you read that like in your research i didn't i didn't anticipate you actually watched that movie oh i saw it in the theater opening weekend <laughs> really? 1993 he cannot believe i didn't see it in the theater no i can't believe that you've never seen it ever well ever yeah i don't think i've seen it either No, no. I I don't think it was a big movie when it came out. All right. Those of you listening or watching this, (laughs) raise your hand if you've seen the Beverly Hillbillies. It was like the biggest movie in fall 93. (sighs) I just heard a tumbleweed kicking down the street. We'll add the tumbleweed (laughs) in later. (laughs) And I don't want to get too much off track, but I will never forget that before the show, they played the trailer for an upcoming movie called Mrs. Doubtfire. Dude looks like a lady. And when he said he had hot flashes at the end of the trailer, The audience roared like it was electric. Speaking of electroshock therapy, because you could just tell everyone's going to see that movie. Yeah, it looks so good. 
Okay, anyway. <laughs> so Jim <laughs> was raised in the suburbs of Lexington, but he loved hearing his daddy's tales of growing up in the mountains. I don't uh, know what yeah. happened to me just now. Yeah. The Varneys had an ancestral link to the Hatfield and McCoys. Ooh. I don't know if I believe this fact now. <laughs> That's true. Okay. And real quickly, that whole thing was about a land dispute between families in West Virginia and Kentucky. It resulted in a lot of death and imprisonment. Yeah. A lot of colorful characters that Jim grew up around later surfaced in his comedy act. Jim would mimic actors as he watched TV, and he could pick up accents and mannerisms quite easily. Jim also enjoyed playing music, and he bought an Appalachian dulcimer one day. What is that? A stringed instrument with a sound as sweet as tea. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You really sold me on this. It's very scientific. I know. It's very magical. You lay it flat. You're like Don Draper, like selling this thing to me. <laughs> yeah. You lay it flat. It's like a banjo. There's four strings. Like a harpsichord. And you you don't pick it. You kind of... You strum it. You don't strum it. You jerk it. You tickle it. You twist it. <laughs> yeah, actually. You, you bop kind, it. You kind of tickle it. You pluck it. You skip it. <laughs> <laughs> you fuck it. Whoa. Whoa. Hold on there. <laughs> so where do you fuck this thing? <laughs> where do you stick it? You sold me, sir. Now where do you fuck this thing? <laughs> Wait a second. I've heard that sound before. It's sweet as tea. Is someone fucking a dulcimer out there? <laughs> I know this sound. Jim had a neighbor named Sonny Wilson, and they would entertain the neighborhood with their Marx Brothers-like routine. I bet you some people in the neighborhood, though, were like, oh, God, here they come. (laughs) Everybody inside. (laughs) Everyone inside, close all the windows. (laughs) And where's my car? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to drive in the garage and just keep it running. Jim did not get good grades, but his reading level was advanced, and he loved diving into the encyclopedia rather than doing homework. He became involved in the local children's theater and starred in productions of Sleeping Beauty and A Christmas Carol, where the assistant director saw much of his potential. Quote, I knew he had the talent, but not the discipline. Ah, uh, so that, Jim- that's a comedian for you. Yeah. <laughs> hmm Jim would often miss rehearsals and sneak up to the third floor to smoke cigarettes. He began smoking Marlboros at the age of 13. Man. And he would affectionately call them his Marley Barleys. Just having a couple Marley Barleys up here. Vern. Know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that um, that thing is just like a mechanism of like him dealing with being lonely is like the, the, the second voice that he keeps talking to. Because yeah. it feels very real, like he'd been doing it since childhood when I saw him in the movies doing the, you know what I mean, Vern? His mom walks in his bedroom, he's like, hey, Vern, know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. She's like, what are you doing, you freak? <laughs> yeah. I just had electroshock treatment. Yeah, and you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Giving it to the wrong Barney. Yeah. The kettle crazy here. <laughs> A high school girlfriend recalls that Jim seemed to be more interested in her mom because she was an actress who had tales of the theater. So he was <laughs> dating this girl to get to the mom. That's kind of a Hell yeah. wild guy. Get after it. Stacy's mom got it going on. Yeah. She's got a manager. 
And his absolute <laughs> favorite movies were the James Bond movies. And his favorite actor was Sean Connery. Sean Connery. But he also liked the lesser known actor named Jean-Paul Belmondo, who had unconventional looks for a leading man. A trait that Jim could relate to because he had a large nose, a wide mouth, and a skinny build. Not the boxer's frame that his dad had. Yeah. He figured if he ever got acting work in the future, he could at least be cast as the villain. Yeah. Jim's high school drama teacher eventually took on a motherly role in his life. Because I'm sure at home it was a little bit odd. You got this dad that's parking cars and teaching people how to box, and you're not athletic. Yeah. And you got a mom that's depressed. She's getting electroshock therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's major... I mean, obviously, that's outlawed these days. Yeah. yeah. But they used to do shit like that. They would give you a lobotomy to treat your cold. Yeah. <laughs> Sick world. Yeah. Take two of these. And if it doesn't work tomorrow, we got a lot more in store for you. Yeah. <laughs> Jim continued to show very little interest in school and threw everything into being an actor. He played the role of Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream at the University of Kentucky's Centennial Players Summer Theater. What the puck? Uh, you hockey puck? <laughs> Don Rickles. <laughs> Toy Story. Toy Story, yeah. Yep. So is he in college at this time, or is he just doing uh, plays there? Doing plays there. Ah. So he's leaving his high school to go do plays in college. That's pretty big, I guess. If they can't find anyone else and they get a pull from like high school and stuff for these parts. And listen to this. This is going to blow your mind. In that production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, one of the professional actors they hired to begin it was none other than character actor M. Emmett Walsh. Bum, bum, bum. He's huge from the Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. He was in Blood Simple. I think he was like the, the lead of Blood Simple, I think. Yeah, he's been in so many movies. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you don't know who he is, just Google his name and you'll say what Kyle just said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those he's another one of those character actors you just see in the back and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. The two would actually appear in the same movie many years later called Wilder Napalm. I never heard of that one. Have you? Did you see it in the theaters? <laughs> I did not see that one, unfortunately. Jim's performance in that play was practically naked. He was only covered in green paint. I think there was a little loincloth on his genitals. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he joked that he was the most nude actor they'd ever had in Lexington. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I think this is illegal, Vern. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable, Vern. In jail time, you know what I mean? Jim's <laughs> <laughs> Island, you know what I mean? Jim's passion for performing kept growing. 
That wasn't the only thing that was it's growing. Like <laughs> he was insatiable and he started debuting his comical characters and celebrity impressions like John Wayne at local coffee houses. He'd get up while people are drinking coffee to be like, hey, partner, and so, just like start doing a bit. Hey there, pilgrim. <laughs> you want some cream in your coffee? <laughs> pilgrim. <laughs> pilgrim. <laughs> and he didn't give him cream, if you know what I mean. Hey. Okay. Um, <laughs> Jim's appearance with long hair, a jean jacket, and an earring made him stand out from the others. Ooh. People were like, who is this weird hippie guy? Wild uh, redneck. (laughs) (laughs) Some of his friends started calling him Dylan because of his affinity for quoting the poetry of Dylan Thomas in a Welsh accent. Hmm. He was also a fan of Bob Dylan. He must have really fit in down there in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, they certainly got a kick out of him. Yeah, it looks like it's, it's, you know, well thought. And it's not like they're calling him, like, you know, weird earring guy or something. Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, they're calling him Dylan. Yeah. Acting was also a way to deal with his lifelong depression. So he inherited that from his mom. Mm. Jim repeated senior year at Lafayette High School, and he won multiple acting awards. So he soon dropped out of high school entirely to join the stock company at the Barter Repertory Theater in Virginia. Wow. He told his school newspaper, an actor is born at heart, but his talent must be developed. He's a very true. prolific guy at a young age. I said nothing that was worth quotable. But I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I said the dumbest shit ever. That was his way of saying, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck, y'all. Probably a good move. Especially if you're repeating senior year. Just, you know, just hang it up as far as the school goes. Going right. To dramatic arts. And he kept a promise to his dad and later earned his GED. The good enough diploma, as Chris <laughs> yeah. Rock would say. So where did he go after that? Where do you go, Mark? You go to either New York or Los Angeles, right? You got it. New yeah. York. Yeah. And he was trying to get on Broadway. That didn't exactly work out, but he had a good time. So he returned to Lexington to do more local theater, including more Shakespeare. And in his comedy routine, one of his bits used to be reciting Shakespeare, something like, to be or not to be, that is the question. Know what I mean? (laughs) Nice. He did his own thing. One of his menial jobs was that of a lifeguard, even though he was scared to swim and never learned how. It's a good gig. It's a good gig as long as no one drowns. Like you yeah, can just exactly. hang, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you actually have to pull someone out of the yeah, water, then it gets kind of bad. Fake it till you kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like being one of the Varney Parkers and not having a driver's license. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In nineteen sixty, Parkers also. Sorry. <laughs> Parky In- Porkers. <laughs> <laughs> In 1969, he got into a bad car wreck after his friend drove over an icy patch of black ice. It resulted in a lifelong collarbone injury. 
it never looked the same after that, and it made Jim even more self-conscious about his appearance. A collarbone, though, is not the worst thing, I feel. I broke yeah, my... Yeah, what a weird... Yeah, I was like... <laughs> insecurity to have. Yeah. You staring at my collarbone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the I fuck you looking at? Go- <laughs> Are you staring at my fucking collarbone? <laughs> I know my collarbone sucks. <laughs> Sitting in a bar yeah. at 1 a.m. Yeah. in Lexington. <laughs> what the fuck you looking at, bub? Yeah. Puts a knife on the bar. <laughs> you looking at my collarbone? Collarbone, boy? Uh, no, you're not staring at my <laughs> collarbone, boy. <laughs> Want to step outside? Yeah. You versus my collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like you to meet my fist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he was still able to attract dates. One of his girlfriends would later become Miss Lexington. Ooh. Oh, okay. Not bad. <laughs> she recalls his hilarious hillbilly characters. They were early incarnations of Ernest. Yep. She also says that he would drink a lot and always carried around a flask, obviously hiding his clinical depression, as she put it. She believed he was clinically depressed. Oh, absolutely. So Jim became inspired when he saw the movie Wuthering Heights starring Timothy Dalton because he bared resemblance to him. Another Bond, too. So he's just going to watch movies and being like, hey, I kind of look like him. Yeah. <laughs> he's as ugly as I am. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can make it in this business. <laughs> well, he has that insecurity where he thinks, like, I can't be, like, the, the main leading guy. But I like the idea that, you know, less attractive people exist in Hollywood. So, therefore, I think I have a shot. Yeah. And yeah. in the 70s, that was more prevalent. You had leading You had men. some ugly motherfuckers. Gene the, Hackman. You, oh, yeah. Well, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. And then if he wants to do like a gritty role, they just ugly him up with some makeup and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So you don't get... The ugly guys aren't getting the jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Colin Farrell plays the penguin. Yeah. Jim Varney, <laughs> if he existed as a kid today, he'd be like, there's no way I'm getting into this Hollywood game. I would have called a bone like this. I don't know, Vern. (laughs) (laughs) That is egregious, though, that these beautiful people are putting on ugly makeup to play these roles. Yeah. No wonder we're on strike. Yeah. (laughs) And the casting director's like, I really like you, but the collarbone's really taking me out of it. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of died before the 3D craze. Can you imagine that collarbone? Boy, it's coming right at me. Coming coming off the screen, yeah. <laughs> Turn off the movie. <laughs> collarbone 3D. <laughs> you haven't seen a collarbone like this, have you? <laughs> the collarbone you, has is holding a, like a, a shock gun. A shotgun. <laughs> you can't even keep it on the screen. <laughs> In 1972, he went ahead and got a nose job. Wow. Oh, okay. And then he began doing Sergeant Glory commercials in the region. That was his big character What's at the time. Sergeant Glory? Is that a character or is that a company? No, that's a character. I said it, though, like you should know it. And yeah. you have no reason Sometimes to know Sometimes you do it. lay yeah. something on us like that where you're just like, like yeah. common knowledge type of thing. <laughs> it's not at all. So it's one of his characters like, hey, I'm Sergeant Glory. Yeah. This- nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy whatever you got, sir. Yeah. <laughs> what are you selling? I want Sold. It. Sold. You like my new nose? <laughs> nose what I mean? Ah, nice. 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 This led to other commercials, <laughs> and they would often use a wide-angle lens to capture his mania. 
I once heard a story about Sam Simon, who was a legendary Simpsons producer and writer. He also did the George Carlin show. He once worked with Michael Richards on the Michael Richards show. Yeah. And Michael Richards, who's this wild kind of like physical comedy guy, he would just ask Sam Simon, make sure you shoot me wide. So like physical, like big comedians like that. I think that's what they want. So you can catch all the genius that they're doing. Ah. Jim signed with William Morris and started finding sporadic work in Nashville, like a Johnny Cash TV special. Mm. One night, Jim was supposed to open for country singer David Allen Coe, but was no bu- relation to David Allen Greer. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's his dad, <laughs> but was bumped and instead entertained people in the parking lot, including none other than Johnny Cash himself. Just apple falling from the tree. Back to the parking lot you go. (laughs) (laughs) Jim had another nose surgery in 1975. Quit it with the surgery. Sometimes people, you just got to tell them. Sometimes you got to nose when to stop. That's right. Nose when to nose them. Nose when to rolls them. (laughs) He and his manager friend, Joe Lyles. How would you pronounce that? Yeah, Lyles. Moved to Los Angeles in 1976. Johnny Cash gave them the phone number of his West Coast agent, Marty Klein. And Jim began performing stand-up at... The world-famous Comedy Store. Mitzi Shore dug Jim's act. Of course, she was the owner of the Comedy Store, Polly Shore's mom, R.I.P. So we saw mama. (laughs) And she (laughs) soon, (laughs) with her blessing and support, Jim started getting booked everywhere from the improv in Hollywood to the horn in Santa Monica. Oh, the old horn. In no time at all, (laughs) he started appearing on shows like Merv Griffin. Dinah Shore, and The Tonight Show without Johnny Carson. Could you imagine you get on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and then the guest host is McLean Stevenson from MASH? Oh, man. So Jim Varney did his thing, but it wasn't the career boost he hoped it would be because Johnny Carson was not there to wave him over to the seat and usher him into show business. That's when he knew you made it as a comic. Yeah. Around this time, Jim Varney began to develop a taste for the finer things mm, yes. as he earned more money. Longer Marlboros. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia Slims now. Three feet long. <laughs> On a cigarette holder. <laughs> Fucking knocking people over. I don't know, Vern. There's too many people around here, Vern. Too many smoke, Vern. Gourmet cheeses, English toffee, mm. cashmere sweaters, yes. and Rolex watches like his hero, James Bond. Those cashmere sweaters that you need in uh, the the Los An- freezing Los Angeles, yeah. <laughs> and then that became his thing. These watches, he would give them to everybody as a gift through the years. It's such a bad investment. Here, take another watch. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he enjoyed wearing jewelry and was fascinated by the craftsmanship of it. And then he had also been collecting knives and other trinkets, remember, Uh because of his dad's, when his dad brought stuff home from when he was touring with the army. Yeah. So he's really just into decorating himself and decorating his surroundings with all these eclectic, eccentric 
crap. Yes. Yeah, it's, he's like a hoarder, it seems like. <laughs> I, got, I got too much stuff here, Vern. Luxurious hoarder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the worst guy. Yeah. yeah. He's like a QVC like nut. Like he's just buying crap. Can we talk? Will you buy this, Jim Vonnie? <laughs> Can we talk? No to me. <laughs> yeah. Him and Joan Rivers in a room together. <laughs> One night while shooting a commercial in Florida, a man broke into Jim's hotel room while he was sleeping and he stole the Rolex watch right off his wrist. Then the intruder cut Jim's pocket open and stole his wallet. Jeez. Damn. And this guy just all of a sudden just broke into a random room at this hotel? In Florida, yeah. Okay. He must have been so drunk. Yeah, because Jim said he didn't wake up. Yeah, there's no way that someone takes a watch off your wrist and cuts your pants off and you don't even know. <laughs> he woke up without his watch and a hole in his pants. Yeah. And, 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 either he was he robbed, sleep. either he was robbed. Or he had a great time. Yeah, that's what I think. Something else was going on, maybe an inside job. But also, he's just sleeping with inside his pants jo- on. An inside hand job. And, uh, yeah. You got a hole in your pocket, you're just happy to see me. <laughs> you so, got a glory hole in your pocket, or you're just happy to see me? Are you just trying to take my wallet? (laughs) Well, there may be a little more to it. Later on, we might touch a little bit more on it. Because it seems to me there is a little bit more like, hey, Vern, uh, you know, I invited this guy to my room, Vern. (laughs) Yeah, are we going to bring it more into like an autofocus? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of not being gay, Jim married, (laughs) married an old flame from high school named Jackie Drew in 1977. Jackie girl or a Jackie guy? A girl, Jacqueline. Okay. okay. A woman. Just, uh, well, just okay, a, a person with a uterus, as you would say today. Yes. Gotcha. Because Jackie can be, you know, like Jackie Gleason. You of know? course. Jackie Martling. Jackie Martling. <laughs> 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 I thought I was expecting a little more mainstream of a Jackie. Yeah, like, Jackie yeah. Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie Martling. I love and it. And listen to the this. joke man. <laughs> the joke man. Jackie would help Jim with his routine and write for him. Wow. Because Jim wasn't actually much of a writer, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. some people like that, they just perform. They yeah, just, that's they, all he did, perform. Yeah. yeah. So she was very involved in his act. Wow. And Jim started getting lots more work. He appeared on Fernwood Tonight, the legendary show with Martin Mull and Fred Willard. Love Martin Mull. Had a recurring wall. <laughs> Recurring recurring role as Wacky Mechanic Virgil Slims. And then Jim made appearances on the show's Alice, based on the Martin Scorsese movie, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Yeah. And then, get this, he was part of the ensemble cast of the infamous failed variety show, Pink Lady and Jeff. It was canceled after five episodes. The series was ranked number 35 on TV Guides, the 50 worst TV shows of all time. <laughs> That's saying a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's saying a lot. There's been a lot of bad TV. Yeah. yeah. So they have this Japanese female singing duo of the same name, Pink Lady, doing a variety show with American comedian Jeff Altman. Who has nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just sounds bizarre. It sounds like an acid trip or something. Yeah. 
In July 1980, SAG-AFTRA began a strike in Hollywood when negotiations broke down over profits from the home video market. Sound familiar? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly. Movie and TV productions froze. So Jim picked up and moved back to Kentucky. He couldn't wait to get out of L.A. That's crazy. He felt homesick and never really felt comfortable on the West Coast. He became a truck driver for a short time to earn much-needed cash. Man. He was already on The Tonight Show. What did he do with all the watches? He's going, yeah. <laughs> well, he's getting them ripped off his wrist. He's yeah. giving them away and getting them stolen. <laughs> yeah. Him and Jackie were so broke that they moved in with her grandma in Lexington. Man. But his fortune was about to change. Know what I mean? No, I mean, I'm Do you know what I mean? <laughs> A revamped theme park named Beach Bend. So this was like a shitty theme park that was in need of a makeover. And this country singer named Ronnie Millsap bought it. I've heard of Ronnie Millsap. Yeah, and so they needed to start marketing this place, even though it wasn't even near being ready to open. And they needed a clever advertising campaign. Enter Ernest P. Worrell. The character was created by Tom Farrell and John Cherry at Cardin and Cherry Advertising. Bet you guys didn't know that. I no. didn't know that. He so like an entire team got together and made up this character. For it him. wasn't a character that Jim created on stage. Wow! Like the skeleton was there. Yeah. He very much inserted his voice into it. Yeah. And he had similar characters, but he did not have Ernest. Wow. wow. That's crazy. He is like the Diamonds Are Forever <laughs> of yeah. Yeah. character actors. It's yeah. a fucking corporate slogan. That's crazy. And so Cardin and Cherry advertising was based out of Nashville. The character of Ernest was patterned after a warehouse employee from the agency. And then the off-screen character of neighbor Vernon, or Vern, was modeled after a generic State Farm insurance salesman. Remember their slogan? Like a good neighbor. State Farmer's there. <laughs> so the basic gist is Ernest is speaking to an off-screen neighbor named Vern. And that's the entire premise. That's so crazy. It's breaking the fourth wall, but I always remember that as a kid. I'm like, what the hell? Who the hell is that character he's talking to? What? Who are you fucking talking to me for? <laughs> are you talking to me or Vern? <laughs> Who the fuck is Vern? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so this was really born out of because this park was so shitty, they needed to sell the park without showing any photos or video of it. Wow. Yeah. And so Ernest would tell people about Beach Bend, and he would be the ultimate annoying neighbor, pushy, intrusive, clumsy, yet lovable. Oh. But then the people would get there, and it's like Firefest. They're like, this place is garbage. Yeah. Yeah. The original <laughs> Firefest. His trademark outfit consisted of a khaki baseball cap, denim vest, blue jeans, and a gray T-shirt. Quite a bit different from Mr. Fancy Pants in real life. Yeah, for yeah. real. Wearing those watches. The ads were popular, but Beach Bend was not, and it closed soon after. And there wasn't much traction again until Purity Dairies, a longtime client of Cardin and Cherry, requested TV spots with that Ernest guy. 
and they would go on to air in Tennessee and North Carolina. So after Beach Bend, people loved the ads, that place closes. Then for about a year, nothing happens with the character until this dairy company comes along and says, remember that one ad you did? Wow. So it's all thanks to them. So it's like the uh, Can You Hear Me Now guy that was on Verizon. Then there was like, <laughs> you know what? AT&T wants to pay me more. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, that was weird, actually. Yeah, that was like a, I think that was like a landmark case because I think everyone sued each other in that. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened with that, but that guy's probably dead now. <laughs> <laughs> the commercials proved to be extremely popular. Then other companies started calling until eventually, basically, Ernest was hawking every product you can think of. We're talking soda. We're talking hamburgers. We're talking rifles. We're oh talking... Oh, my God. Just name something. So he's like a phenomenon. Like, down in the South, like, he is like an entity. Like, he's like the biggest thing going down. Oh, yeah. He, it was like wildfire. I think eventually it got up to Massachusetts, and we heard about who this guy was. Oh, I bet. Yeah. He was in over 80 markets at his peak. And it definitely tapped into the lesser-served markets of rural America. Yep. They would sometimes film 16 commercials a day. Woo! The idea was small market saturation versus having a national campaign so that no one would get sick of him. It would add to the longevity. Man. Many people believed Ernest was from their hometown, their yeah. home market. He's an everyman. Exactly. They probably thought they were local commercials. Yeah. And then they'd go somewhere else and be like, wait, you have Ernest here too? That was like Bob's Discount Furniture to me. I thought he was just Massachusetts only. And then I moved to California and I'm like, what the fuck? There's one right down the street. Oh <laughs> Jim went on to star in upwards of 3,000 TV spots throughout his career. He told one reporter that he'll continue with the character until he's on crutches or too old to actually fall off a ladder. Yeah, it's a money printing machine. Let's he's watch. like uh, the girl from um, Flow, kind of like, you know, she she's someone that did Groundlings, wanted to be a legitimate actor, and she got all these commercials, and she's like, screw it. I don't care. I'll just be a commercial person. Yeah. Right. So let's watch one of these. Hey, Vern, what y'all having for supper, huh? Rusty's Pizza. Your old buddy Ernest loves Rusty's Pizza. Rusty's Pizza is the freshest pizza on the planet. Mm, 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 mm. How's that salad? <laughs> Warm. So the window just <laughs> fell on his hand. <laughs> That's all they were was slapstick and yeah, simple and effective though. It's cheaper than actually making a good pizza. Yeah, <laughs> and apply that to any other. Like same product. thing about the other products. Like the product doesn't have to be good, but he's just, they have a great pitch, man. Yeah, his newfound fame and fortune allowed him to buy his dream home in White House, Tennessee, just north of Nashville, twenty six hundred square feet, surrounded by ten acres with a creek running through. Well, ten the, the lot of land's pretty big, but the house is not like a mansion by any stretch of the yeah. imagination. Jim had been told that Civil War soldiers were buried in a plot under some trees on his property. Oh, my God. And he believed it was haunted. One day, he saw an old man using a garden hoe in the front lawn. And when he went outside to ask him how he'd gotten in through the gate, the old man disappeared. Ooh. <laughs> Jim bought a DeLorean to match his stainless steel Rolexes. 
So he's got this wild place with a DeLorean. I feel like a DeLorean watches came with like a pound of Coke whenever you bought it. <laughs> Jim loved eating Southern food and gorging on candy. And lucky for him, he would never gain a pound. Yeah, I, he looks like a pretty trim guy. Like for yeah. someone that eats like that, I'm sure he's eating all that pizza too. And he also loved sipping whiskey and chain smoking, which would prove to have fatal consequences down the road. Yeah. Although Jim finally had his dream home, the long stretches where he was away proved too much for his marriage, and Jackie requested a divorce in 1983. Hmm. Damn. He was dealt two other major blows a couple years later. He lost his dad to a heart attack and his older sister to breast cancer in very close succession. Acting helped distract him from the pain, as did his alcohol and smoking. And at the ranch, he had his dogs and cats to keep him company now, and he would call them his children. Hmm. Eventually, the popularity of the Ernest ads led to Jim getting a TV special called Hey Vern, It's My Family Album. It was filmed in Nashville in spring 1984. The show aired in the markets where the ads were popular, so the show was popular in those markets. Mm-hmm. Soon after, the Ernest phenomenon was covered by the CBS Evening News, NBC Nightly News, and Good Morning America. So he's blowing up. Yeah, I feel like he's like a huge superstar that not all of America knows about, but they will soon. So the family album TV special was such a success that a movie was written to showcase Jim Varney called Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam. They modeled the humor after Monty Python because Jim Varney loved the offbeat sense of humor of the Brits. Jim had also said that he felt a strong connection to England and believed he had been an actor in many generations there, going all the way back to King Arthur. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, he's got some crazy things that he says. That he yeah. people. Like, it'd be like, all right, you know, Jim, say, keep that to yourself. <laughs> so Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam was released in summer 1985 in the southern and midwestern states. Ticket sales were disappointing, though, so the movie never spread to the rest of the country, and it remains in obscurity to this day. Wow. I take it you two haven't seen it. You, no. So you can't find it? You can see it, but there's no HD version. Uh, Looks like kind of Jim Carrey on the cover there, the lower part. Yeah. Well, they were both the rubber face. Yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. I'm sure I, everything builds up. You know, inspiration comes from all over the place. So Jim Carrey could have been inspired by this guy a little bit. Oh, definitely. So now let's go to the Indianapolis 500 race in May 1985. The theme was the wonderful world of Disney with Mickey Mouse serving as the Grand Marshal. But Ernest is the one who received more cheers from the crowd than Mickey. Wow. CEO Michael Eisner took notice huh. and was ready to take Ernest to the big screen. Let's go. So he got discovered right there. And Mickey was like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think you are? <laughs> but discovered like, you know, discovered by ho- by mainstream Hollywood. He was already discovered. In, like, right. Down there. Yeah. yeah. He was a... Long, what do they call it? <laughs> Long time overnight success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Ernest Goes to Camp was filmed in Nashville in 1986, and it used a lot of the same crew from the commercials, including John Cherry as director. 
So that's pretty awesome. You're working at an advertising agency. You create this really popular character, do a bunch of very lucrative commercials, and then they say, oh, yeah, if you want to direct the movie, you can. Hey, want to make a Disney movie? Amazing. Yeah. And Eisner's like, hey, you know... He's okay with that, which I'm kind of shocked about. But but he's but, also the brainchild who knows how to film. Yeah, Jim yeah, Barney that's true. You could you could bring in some some new person who'll just screw it up. They recreated a lot of the gags from the commercials, including the window falling on his hand and him falling off a ladder. And they had 26 earnest outfits in the wardrobe department to last through all of the slapstick and pratfalls. Well, there's like a, a blue vest, a gray vest, a yellow vest. <laughs> yeah. No, they're all exactly the same. And the plot is just he works at a summer camp and there's a bunch of kids there. I don't even remember anything about that movie, but I loved it as a kid. Yeah, yeah same. Previously, Jim was weary of bringing Ernest to the big screen, telling the Atlanta newspaper in 1985, could you watch two hours of Gomer Pyle? <laughs> Boy, was he wrong. Yeah. Oh, this is some interesting trivia. It was the first time that a movie had been made based on a character from TV commercials. That's crazy. Ernest Goes to Camp cost $3 million and ended up grossing $23 million, making Disney executives very happy. The critics destroyed it, but that didn't matter. As Jim Varney saw it, kids bought more tickets than critics anyway. Yeah, that's true. Do we want to see a clip? Let's do it. Safety first. That's my motto. When one is doing dangerous work, one must pay careful attention to the safety of one's body. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but one day, I'll be a camp counselor, and I'll be running this place. I'll be shaping and molding youthful minds into a focused worldview. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ernest P. Worrell, camp counselor. An extraordinary thing to witness. <laughs> you saw it coming. <laughs> You knew that ladder was going to fall. Of course. Yeah. That's a perfect setup. Just like a one location at this camp. Yeah. You know, this guy, just like a huger than life character. And it's perfect. Kids go to see it before they go to the real summer camp. Yeah. No <laughs> and, special effects. No, nothing. Right. Obviously, what something they had a stunt guy do something there. There's one more clip from it. This scene actually went viral in recent years because people found it online and it made them cry. Because there's a scene where, because of Ernest, the camp is going to close. So then, out of nowhere, he starts singing a song to a turtle. <laughs> I thought I had found someone I could count on till the end. What they wanted was a hero. All I needed was a friend Gee, I'm glad it's raining I hope the morning sun won't come up soon Any dry eyes? <laughs> Very sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Jim. Very heartwarming moment. I'll say that. Okay. Yes. Jim met his second wife, Jane Hale, or Janie, as he called her, at a pool party in 1986, even though he couldn't swim, remember? Yeah. And they married in 1988. At the wedding ceremony, Jim hammed it up 
and even demonstrated the power of his bulletproof vest by taking it out into a field and shooting at it and then showing everybody where the bullet had hit. Wait, what? They called it a handgun wedding. Oh, Why did he have a bulletproof a vest? Because he had a lot of toys like that. <laughs> he loved his guns. He loved his watches. All right. He loved his earrings. Yeah. That's a crazy thing to show off at a wedding, though. I know. I'd be like, <laughs> I, I, I feel uncomfortable. At yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to stick around here. <laughs> the marriage lasted for about two years, but him and Janie remained friends after the divorce, and she even became his personal assistant. Wow. After the success of Ernest Goes to Camp, the show Hey Vern, It's Ernest was developed by CBS. Interestingly enough, Jim's ex-wife, Jackie, is credited as one of the writers on the show. What the he hell? He keeps them all around. He, uh, he doesn't dump them. <laughs> he's just growing a writer's room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's marrying them. Yeah. <laughs> it was originally going to be a cartoon, but Jim was such an animated performer that the animation wasn't really necessary. And in fact... Many of his detailed, expressive features would be lost in animation. Yeah. yeah. It's so much cheaper, too. Animation's so expensive. Yeah. And Hey Vern, It's Ernest was not a typical Saturday morning kids show, much like Sid and Marty Croft that we previously <laughs> mentioned. Yeah. And Pee Wee, R.I.P. Today. But if you're listening to this not today, then just R.I.P. in general. R.I.P. Wee. <laughs> Thank you for saving that. <laughs> they wanted it to be a show that parents could laugh at as well. And I have a quick clip of a promo for the Saturday morning lineup that CBS had. Oh, here we go. Yep. Called Saturday Rocks. Saturday Rocks! Oh, yeah! On CBS. It's Ernest! Ernest on CBS. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> and starting this Saturday... Oh, God, Saturday mornings were the best. The yeah, best. But, but NBC had a way better lineup. It's like their must-see TV type. We're like the 80s and 90s, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, they were way better than CBS. Okay. Nobody asked. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys didn't agree. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. That same year, a follow-up movie quickly went into production with double the budget at $6 million. How you doing? Vern, I got you good news and I got you bad news. The bad news is your car is like totally totaled, okay? And the good news is you'll be out in time to see my new movie, Ernest Saves Christmas. It would be a Christmas movie filmed at Disney MGM Studios in Orlando. Ernest Saves Christmas was released in late 1988 and grossed $28 million. Nice. Million dollars. The biggest return of any Ernest movie. And director John Cherry said that this was his personal favorite of the franchise. The this, this child- is his Mean Streets, or this is Godfather. Good, his Goodfellas. Yeah. <laughs> Bronx Tale. <laughs> this chil- is my Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> the children's show, Hey Vern, didn't fare so well. It was canceled after one season, despite the best efforts of a letter-writing campaign from the Ernest P. Worrell Fan Club. <laughs> Yeah. A bittersweet parting gift was a daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Performer in a Children's Series. 
which Jim called his proudest achievement. Oh, that's pretty nice. How do you like them apples? Hey, suck on that. Crunchy. <laughs> For the most part, Jim loved being associated with the Ernest character and never hesitated to sign autographs for fans. Once in a while, he would get irritated when told to reenact an entire bit from one of the ads. <laughs> Imagine seeing like a celebrity you like in, in, in person and be like, can you do that 20-minute bit yeah. <laughs> that I really like for that pizza ad 20 years ago? His go-to response was, I'm sorry, but I don't have my window with me. Ah, nice. nice. <laughs> or the pizza. The lines blurred between who was Ernest and who was Jim Varney in the public eye. He appeared on Comic Relief in 1989 and never broke out of the Ernest character, coming back to the stage multiple times. If you think about it, like that would be like Robin Williams being Mork the entire time. Yeah. Even though Jim wanted to break free from Ernest, he also couldn't always. That was his crutch. Yeah, he didn't have like an uh like a persona like of his own. No. And then at the 15th class reunion of the comedy store, apparently like they accused him of earlier kind of phoning it in and he didn't feel comfortable there. Yeah. And David Letterman used to have Ernest as part of the top 10 lists over the years. In fact, had him on 12 times, but never had Jim Varney on. Wow. Why? Because Dave is pompous. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Jesus. Let the man sit down for a second. Ask him how he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, but some of those people like that, you know, it's tough to find a real person in there on air. He's like, I'm a real person. Know what I mean? <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah, he talked to the camera. Know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> yeah, he's talking to the camera yeah. when you're in the room with him and there's no camera. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Conan was talking to, I think it was it was Michael Richards or someone like that, some big kind of crazy uh, character, and he's like, "Are you a real person?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he said, "Is there a real person in there?" Because yeah. same thing with Rodney on like Carson, he'd be like, he'd just do bits the entire time, and then Johnny Carson would be like, "So how are you, Rodney?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, my wife. <laughs> For the third installment, an idea being thrown around was called Ernest Spaced Out about alien abduction. But that was shelved, and instead producers opted for Ernest Goes to Jail. Jim played multiple roles, including villain Felix Nash and his popular character Auntie Nelda, a dour old lady with big boobs and a squishy face. So Felix Nash was the villain, and he was actually excited to showcase another character he could do besides Ernest because the villain's like slick hair, cool, menacing, complete opposite of Ernest. The movie was another solid hit, earning $25 million in spring 1990. Wow. And this is 80s, early 90s money. Yeah, it's yeah. big. Yeah. It's the screen's most magnetic personality. <laughs> I recommend the lobster. In the most electrifying Ernest adventure of all. He's had a real hard day. Ernest goes to jail! Jim was now a big part of the Disney family. 
He starred in a short film to promote Splash Mountain, had a guest spot on the new Mickey Mouse Club, and appeared in Disneyland's 35th anniversary special directed by John Landis. Oh, no. Wow. Boy, the dots connect in the die world. They let him around kids again? <laughs> the fuck? Yes, this did. is after he killed two kids on set. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Let's set the Mickey Mouse Club on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got and you all stay in there. Helicopters, yeah. flamethrowers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he runs over Ryan Gosling yeah. <laughs> and Justin Timberlake. Yes. Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Because of his popularity with kids, Jim visited thousands of sick children in hospitals through the years. And if they were well enough, he would take some of them out for lunch. He jokingly claimed to have eaten more Happy Meals than any living adult. And by the way, he was never photographed smoking. Wow. He did not want any kids to see that. So even though he was a chain smoker, he took great pains to make sure that it was private. Yeah. Mm. He wasn't smoking in the movies or anything. No, he wasn't smoking inside the McDonald's while sitting with the sick kid. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> he ashes on their head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about ashes this, Ashes into their colostomy bag. <laughs> 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 you want one of these, kid? Yeah. <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> now we're entering his new career phase in the 1990s. Things were about to change. In 1991, Ernest Scared Stupid ended his golden box office streak. Not because of me. Not because because of me. I was five years old, and I saw that in the theater. And I loved it. I think I was 10. I think I really loved it, too. Yeah, he unwittingly unleashes this horribly scary and grotesque troll onto a community. Yeah. <laughs> During Halloween. And it's actually very effective. Some parts, dare I say, you could squint and think it was an actual horror movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was terrified of yeah. this when I was a kid. The makeup is great. The music is great. The stunts are great. Because even the character of the troll, he takes the kids' voices. So you hear the little girl saying, hey, I'm right behind you. Yeah. Then they turn around and the troll is like, Aah! As a five-year-old, it doesn't get better than yeah, that. Yeah, that'll do it too. I, I, you know what I think this suffered from a bad title. That title, it just sounds like, you know, we're just exhausted with Ernest at this it point. Works for and, me. And, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think I, I think that's why people like really just started talking shit about it. In my generation, the ones who kind of started out with Ernest were like, we're almost over it at this point. Yeah. We're getting to that age where we're just like. Yeah, maybe we're done with, you know, Ernest. He, maybe he is stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, the burnout was happening because, I mean, this is the fourth movie in five years that they filmed. Yeah. So it's just like every year that's like an Ernest thing. I mean, he was like Medea before Medea. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everyone loved Medea when she first came out. And then now it's kind of like, yeah. And Medea and Leprechaun, they went to jail, they went to space. (laughs) Yeah. I'd compare it to also the franchise of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids around the same time. They just start at some point, like, Honey, you know, I, you know, I, I killed the kid. Like, I forget what yeah. the, the title was, but it was just 
They, they, I killed the game. It was just they, <laughs> that they, was the John Landis version. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the John Landis movie. Honey, I, honey, killed, I, the I killed the kids. <laughs> no, there was Honey, I blew up the kid. And yeah, then, I blew up the kid. And yes, then, Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Yes, Ugh. yeah, it got it got really too much. Yeah, with. What's her name from Smallville? Allison Mack was in Honey. We shrunk. Was our, she really? We shrunk ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Before she got into the uh, what's the name of that Nexium. group? Nexium. Yeah, with yeah. Keith Raniere. So there's actually another theory why Ernest Scared Stupid failed because it was too scary. Yeah. Oh. So John Cherry, the director, said that they lost about ten million dollars off the gross because of that. Damn. And it only grossed fourteen million. Damn. And it was considered a failure, underperformed. Yeah. And here's a bit of trivia. It's the only installment that Siskel and Ebert ever reviewed. It got two thumbs down, but Ebert admitted he could imagine liking the movie if he were eight years old, but otherwise could not recommend it. Yeah, I couldn't see those two guys ever agreeing to like that movie. (laughs) So he pretty much just gave a good review of a kid's movie. A kid would like it, but I'm not going to recommend it for you to go see it. Like, yeah, uh, what? You got it. Yeah, <laughs> we're on to you, Roger. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. Two jaws down. <laughs> oh my God. And it was even a little too scary for him. He said his jaw dropped when the yeah. <laughs> troll first burst on the screen. <laughs> And this is harsh, I thought. Disney cut their multiple picture deal as a result. So Ernest movies were done. Wow. Or were they? So they're out of the Ernest business. They're out of the mouse house. But do, don't they go to straight to video or something? They do. Yes. Coming it's, right up. It's just so funny that the uh, the Screen Actors Guild were was striking for more money on video sales. And now here we go with Ernest. He's starting to sell some videos. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I hope so. I don't know. What are, what are you thinking? We're going to Beverly Hills. <laughs> he caused the strike so that he could make the videos. I, I hope so. <laughs> and we are going to Beverly Hills. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but first, in 1992, Jim was honored by the Tennessee State Senate for outstanding contributions to the state. The 33 senators in attendance were wearing earnest masks. At one point, Jim grabbed one of the masks, placed it next to his face, and said, I'm beside myself. Know what I mean? (laughs) Know what I mean, Vern? Hey, something's going on January 6th, uh, Vern. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta stop the steal, Vern. (laughs) They should have been wearing earnest masks on January 6th. What if January 6th and all... Everyone's wearing earnest masks trying to get up to the Capitol Hill. He becomes the new Q symbol. (laughs) They're like, what does it all mean? (laughs) I don't know, Vern. The uh, mainstream media is after us, Vern. In 1993, Jim began to branch out and start pursuing other projects that didn't involve his famous alter ego. Most notably was his role as Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies, based on the classic TV series. When casting the role, director Penelope Spheris, hot off of Wayne's World, fought to give Jim a screen test after studio heads at 20th Century Fox feared he was too identified with Ernest. They had wanted Sam Elliott, 
Oh, wow. That would have been a good get, too. But a gray mustache and a wide-brimmed hat goes a long way, and it made a world of difference. So Jim got the part, mainly because of his comedic background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In contrast to the Ernest movies, Jed is the quietest member of the Clampett clan. He was essentially the straight man. Yeah. On screen, at least. It was a joke for Kyle to say. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Totally. I'll cut that out. <laughs> um, I think he gives a rather touching performance in it. Oh. It's very good. But I'm biased because I saw it in the theater as a kid. I already told you all that. Yeah. But I loved it. It's, it's, it's a fun movie. I just remember Erica Alaniac as the girl in that. The right? daughter, the Ellie Mae Clampett. Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah. And yeah. that's also the touching part because their mom is dead. So he has to, he gives her a lot of pep talks in it. Yeah. And, you know, he's the loving father. Oh, okay. Go watch it. Take your word for it. <laughs> and Jim even got to sing a song on the soundtrack called Hot Rod Lincoln, and this was fulfilling another dream of his. We heard him singing in that Ernest movie, but he actually dabbled in country music, tried to get an album going, but it never got off the ground. And Jim appeared on the final episode of the infamously bad The Chevy Chase Show. Oh, no. And what did he do on that episode? He played the dulcimer for Chevy Chase. Wow. And Chevy Chase couldn't have been less interested. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> imagine that's your last show. You're canceled. And this is where you got, you know, coming at you. Jim also took on other more dramatic roles in Wilder Napalm, the one that M. Emmett Walsh was into, written by Vince Gilligan. Wow. Who yeah. would go on to create Breaking Bad. Yes. I heard him talk about this movie, actually, Vince Gilligan, on another podcast called Script Notes, I think it is. Mm-hmm. He said it, it was the worst experience of his life, and oh, it, made him, it made him only want to work in television for the rest of his career, oh my gosh. which wow. we're, I guess we're lucky about because he did, uh, you know, Breaking wow. Bad. But Jim Varney was in it. Come I know. On. I know. Would Jim Varney have been in Breaking Bad, maybe? <laughs> Who knows? He could have done more dramatic stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also appeared in The Expert as a bad guy and a movie called A Hundred Proof, which went to Sundance. Jim was very anxious to show his other sides, but his most famous role outside of Ernest would bring him back into the kids market and back to Disney. He was offered the role of Slinky Dog in Pixar's first feature-length animated movie, Toy Story. Yes. Released in November 1995. Decades of smoking had given his voice a deep, raspy quality that brought a warm southern charm to the character. Slinky Dog. (laughs) Is that how he sounds? That sounds like the... Texan from Love Lady. Yeah, yeah Love Lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we love Slinky Dogs and Love Lady. And of course, Toy Story. It's a landmark movie. Yep. Put Pixar on the map. Grossed 200 million plus in its original run. Yep. Like, where are they now? The comparison to Eternals is, you know, jaw dropping. And let's listen to an interview Jim gave promoting Toy Story. And I think this is very interesting because it shows Jim as Jim. And it also, you get a sense of his insecurities that he had about his career and his need to entertain constantly. 
I need some <clears throat> updates on characters. How Pause is it. doing? Fine, we're doing. Replay it, but did you hear that cough at the beginning? Mm. Put that in your pocket for later. I need some <clears throat> updates on characters. How is Ernest doing? Fine, we're doing uh, amazing in video. Ooh. We went to the Cannes Film Festival a couple of years ago and uh, Wait, what? <laughs> sold like several hundred thousand units to Korea. He's a hit in Korea. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, how, how's he do around the world? Korea? Does he do well in Europe? What do they think about Ernest in Europe? Uh, some of Europe has caught on. Um, well, they like Jerry Lewis. You had never done any commercials over in Europe, have you? <laughs> no. He's taking Nobody it as like a job interview or something. <laughs> That'd be a great idea. And the Beverly Hillbillies, how's Mr. Clampett? How's he doing? They're doing well. Um, Why is the interviewer asking him about characters? Yeah. And now it's come to this. You're Slinky the dog. It's a stretch. Hey. Did you have to like... (laughs) It's a (laughs) stretch. Did you hear what I said? You'll be here all week. (laughs) That interviewer sucks. I know. Those interviewers of, of those... That type of like format, which is what like they just press like, junket, press junket. Yeah, they're they've gotten better recently because a lot of actors have given them a ton of shit. Yeah, now they have actual professionals who care about the craft and have mm. really pointed good questions. Yeah, and also the way he w- had to almost like defend all his work. Like, yeah, Beverly Hillbillies did well; they're happy about it. And yeah, yeah, Ernest is still selling out of videotapes. Uh, but he's know. doing it asking about the characters. So how yeah, about, how's Jed Clampett doing? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, he's not real. He's you not, dumb yeah, fuck. He's fake character. Does he think yeah. he's James Lipton on Inside the yeah. Actors Studio? Yeah. I would like to talk to Jed Clampett for yes. a second. Can you get me a meeting with Barney? <laughs> Can we talk to the pizza guy who's uh, selling the pizza that time? In Home Alone. (laughs) (laughs) So Toy Story led to a lucrative run of voiceover roles, including Duckman. Remember that show? I love Duckman. A memorable guest spot as a Carney on The Simpsons. Oh, yes, I do remember that. The Carney episode, episode. the great episode, the Carney episode. Very funny. They smell like cabbage and they have small hands. (laughs) (laughs) And as was mentioned in the interview we just watched, despite finding success elsewhere, Jim never strayed far from Ernest. The franchise chugged along even without the Disney dollar behind it. John Cherry, who directed all the movies except for one, I believe Ernest Rides Again, Mm -hmm. but he directed everything, basically, and created it. His production company financed the remaining Ernest movies. Wow. They were faced with much smaller budgets and were shot mostly in Canada. Ernest Rides Again was the last one to be released theatrically in 1993. It grossed $2 million on a $10 million budget. Ooh. So Ernest Scared Stupid grossing $14 million. They thought that was bad. Yeah. This one did $2 million. Just going downhill. And this was followed by Ernest Goes to School in 1994, Slam Dunk Ernest in 1995, Ernest Goes to Africa in 1997, which I am sorry to report... <laughs> Does contain a little bit of blackface. Oh no! Oh boy! And I was then afraid of that. And then Ernest in the Army in 1998, which turned out to be the final Ernest movie. Really? Yeah. What, what are they just going to like? Um, you know, 
invading some sovereign nation or something. Yeah, basically. <laughs> going it's into a Kosovo. lot of <laughs> desert shots. And yeah. Sands being. It's kind of like in the army thrown. now, like the uh, the Paulie Shore movie. Yeah, imagine that movie with no budget. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. what Ernest in the army. <laughs> Yikes! Uh, yeah, I remember liking Ernest goes to school, and yes, then I did too. Ernest goes to Africa. I was like, yeesh, this I'm checking out now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm done. I don't even remember Slam Dunk Ernest at all. Kyle was so PC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. So I believe Ernest in the Armies and Slam Dunk Ernest are the only two I haven't seen. Slam Dunk Ernest featured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Hot who, off of Airplane. Who John, yeah, just fit, like 20 years later. John Cherry actually said that Kareem had no sense of humor and was hard to direct. Wow. And that's a guy that directs Ernest movies. Yeah. yeah. So Ernest in the Army, uh, they shot it in South Africa as they did Ernest Goes to Africa. And it was on the set of Army where Jim's health started to take a major turn. Mm-hmm. Director John Cherry noticed he was having a hard time with some of the physical stunts and needed a break after every shot. This was all the more unwelcome since Jim had recently gotten his depression under control finally for the first time in his life. A doctor prescribed Welbutrin to him, and according to Jim, he found out what normalcy was. Wow. Quote, I had been self-medicating myself for years. My way of winding down at night was drinking scotch and knocking myself out. But that wears off in a few hours and you're back to square one again. I didn't know that there weren't super highs and lows in everybody's life. When filming wrapped for Ernest in the Army, Jim flew to Pixar Studios in Northern California to record dialogue for Toy Story 2. Then in spring 1998... He was in L.A. shooting a movie called Treehouse Hostage. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> I don't what think I even need that. from working on Toy Story 2. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to go through the plot. Oh, my God. One. Look at this poster. Yeah, t- what do you think it's about based <laughs> yeah. on the poster? <laughs> Nothing good. Yeah. Got his second shot at being a villain, I guess. It's him looking like Christopher Lloyd from Dennis the Menace. Yeah. And there's three kids with him, and they're in front of a treehouse. The kids look as rough as him, too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, they live in, like, the bush outside for, like, 20 years or months or something? I think the middle one is Froggy from uh, The Little Rascals. Oh, oh okay. some Froggy, or whatever his voice. But that kid on oh, the left. Oh, he's copying Ernest. <laughs> that kid on the left is the only one seems like he's okay. But it's almost like a weird euphoric state, like he's really not okay. Yeah. And based on the title, I think they capture him and hold him hostage in the, their treehouse. Okay. All right. I, I have no follow-up questions about that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know anymore. So he's shooting <laughs> that movie. Okay. Okay. During production for that movie, his health took a turn for the worse. And he began experiencing severe coughing attacks, often coughing up blood. Man. At first, he thought he had contracted something from South Africa. Well. But, but that was not the case. <laughs> he refused to delay the production and finish the movie before looking into it further. After he got back from California, Jim had chest x-rays done in Nashville. A mass was found on his lungs, 
and then a piece of it was sent in for testing. Jim called his sister Janice, who was a nurse, and told her how worried he was. She and his other sister Sandy had been worried about him for a while. They both observed a noticeable change in his appearance the last few times they'd been with him. Like he had aged 10 years in a matter of two years. Mm. That's crazy because he doesn't even consider the fact that he has cancer anytime before this. Like, like, yeah, if I like cough for two days straight, I'm like, I'm going right to the emergency room. <laughs> he said that that was the last thing on his mind. He never in a million years thought that smoking was going to kill him. If anything, he thought that his drinking was going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it's crazy because we even back then we all knew that smoking was going it, to it will give you cancer. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're chain smoking like he was. Mm. The results of the biopsy confirmed everyone's worst fears. Lung cancer. It was a malignant tumor. The doctors wanted to perform the surgery as soon as possible. In the meantime, Jim began filming scenes for a dramatic role in his close friend, Billy Bob Thornton's movie, Daddy and Them. They were good buddies? Very good buddies. Wow. They knew each other about 10 years. I could see them kind of getting along. You know, mm-hmm. Billy Bob, you know, likes people that are kind of like like him, kind of. Like they had from a, around you, the same area. A little yeah. fast and loose. Exactly. Yeah. They're both southern good old boys yeah. with a twist. Yeah. They, they kind of went astray from like their regular friend and stuff. It came out to Hollywood. They met through a mutual manager. Thornton had moved around production on Daddy and Them to allow Jim to fill his scenes before the surgery. And that took place, the the filming took place in Arkansas in August 1998. And we actually have a clip from that movie. So this is days before his surgery. That's crazy. And by the way, just as a little backstory... This movie is about a family of alcoholics, and Jim is actually the only sober one. And he's just had it with them. Dysfunctional family. This family hasn't drawn a sober breath since a goddamn potato famine. You're holding it all inside. Connect, connect, connect. You gotta get some shit straight around here. Can't even listen to Lee Greenwood anymore. <laughs> My father. Andy Griffith. Never should have left Oklahoma. He just wanted a fresh start. I've got to go. I'll be back. I mean, you want to talk about a powerful performance yeah that is uh very intense it's not they don't give monologues like that to people who can't uh perform deliver yeah yeah, yeah. and that was um what, what was her name in the background there um laura dern laura dern yeah andy griffith ben affleck very interesting movie ben affleck? i didn't even, I didn't even notice him there uh-huh. hard to find too it didn't get much of a release ever wow no. And he was very excited to get that role because obviously it showed him in a new light. It could have opened up a brand new, you know, mm-hmm. you know, direction of his career. After Jim completed his work for the film. Oh, by the way, as a side note, 
that was a deleted scene. Oh wow. Isn't That's that crazy? crazy? What? Who the fuck is that editor? Yeah, who's leaving that on the floor? Insane. That's crazy. It could have been like one of those movies that has great cast. The director didn't know what he was doing with the movie. You mean Billy Bob? Oh, he was a director. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he had done, uh, he had won the Oscar for Sling Blade. This is after Sling Blade. Yeah, yeah, writing it. And so he was Hollywood's golden boy. He was. Drinking blood with Angelina Jolie. And... We fucked in the car on the way over here. Yeah. Yeah. So this must have been a very. Ex- <laughs> I remember that yeah. moment. Yeah. It, was so weird. it must have been an exciting project, but then in the end, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So after Jim completed his work for the film, just a couple days later, he was in Nashville undergoing the operation. A large tumor that was piercing his heart was removed along with almost two-thirds of his right lung. Oh, my God. Doctors made a window of sorts in his heart, which then filled with infectious fluid that had to be drained. He was put on a ventilator. And here's a quote from Jim. I was on four liters of oxygen and I was suffocating. I was on the most oxygen they can give you. And it was like having your head held underwater and being given a soda straw to breathe through for 24 hours. I thought, I am going to die. Oh, my God. But the surgery was a success and his family was hopeful that the cancer would not return. Jim told his doctors that if he pulled through, he would give them a good tip. Twenty <laughs> percent, I hope. Yeah. Johnny Cash, his old friend, was in a nearby hospital being treated for pneumonia. Jim phoned him and began joking around, saying he was happy to have the extra space in his chest because it was a good place to carry one of his knives. <laughs> nice. Johnny appreciated the humor. Yeah, he didn't have to repeat himself like he did to that reporter. Yeah, could you imagine <laughs> it's a that? Stretch. That reporter is his roommate at the hospital, <laughs> and he's trying to make him laugh somehow. <laughs> I said a goddamn stretch. I said window to carry my knives. <laughs> know what I mean? Jim's sisters so would. How, how's the tumor doing now? <laughs> Jim's sisters would visit him as often as they could from Lexington, but his sister Sandy's daughter, Andrea, who was in her mid-twenties, was able to take time off from her waitressing job and visit him more often. Sounds like she just quit that job, but anyway, that was good, though, because then she could cook for him and provide good company. Her brother, Justin, who actually wrote a book about Jim, his uncle, oh, wow. called The Importance of Being Earnest. Hey. And that is where I got some of these stories from. I'm, I'm wondering if you're allowed to use that, actually. It's, it's directly the exact but title from the, what was it? But spelled as Ernest. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. But <laughs> isn't that how the word Ernest is spelled, too? That has an A. Really? Yeah. Does it? Yes. Oh. Google yeah. it. Kyle's like, I'm smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, this is like the Max Hendrum thing. But oh, it, earn it. Okay, yeah. yeah, the yeah, Max yeah. Oh, much he's more pretending. Vague. Oh, I knew that. I'm I was like, where the fuck is he? Just say the internet's not working right now. Yeah, nice try. Kyle. Yeah, internet's down. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, he's like, oh, I knew. Yeah. I was thinking of another word. Yeah. <laughs> In March 1999, Jim suffered a seizure, and as it turned out the cancer had spread to his brain. No. He couldn't talk for several days and had to write everything left-handed because his right side was temporarily paralyzed. Oh, no. After receiving radiation treatment, 
Jim lost most of his hair and then shaved the rest off. He kept a positive demeanor, saying that he enjoyed his new Mr. Clean look and nicknamed himself Yule Bummer, Ah. a take on Yule Brinner, who actually died of lung cancer in 1985. Mm, I didn't know that. Jim's, he's the guy that won the Oscar for The King and I back in the 50s. And he famously died of lung cancer and did a bunch of PSAs in the 80s before that. Jim's niece, Andrea, says that he would chew Nicorette gum like crazy and that he was a total slave to the nicotine. He also didn't want to be left alone for one second in the hospital, so she stayed with him. That's nice. As if that weren't enough. When he was finally discharged, an old back injury flared up. My God. Deep down, Jim probably knew he was dying, but outwardly he stayed positive and was determined to beat it. His nephew Justin recalls an amazing 12-hour, one-man show he got to experience during a visit in September 1999, where Jim talked about all his interests in philosophy and history, everything he used to read about in the encyclopedia when he was a kid Mm. and throughout his life. He was fascinated by all that stuff. And Justin only wishes that he had had a camera or tape recorder that day. Jim gave one last major interview in November 1999 with a paper called The Nashville Scene. And here's a quote from that. I want to do some more films and be experimental. I've had Ernest in my pocket all this time, and he's been something I can go back on and make a living. I would like to do some new techniques, stories that haven't been done before. I want to be artsy-crafty and get into my Orson Welles stage. I hope Daddy and them will get me more good character roles and expose me to some other creative people. Yeah. So based on that quote, he's not looking to die. No. He's thinking about his career. Yeah, maybe that that lit a fuse, that Billy Bob Thornton movie he was in. Throughout his illness, Jim remained... Very excited about future projects, and he urged his family to keep his illness a secret because he didn't want it to affect his career. One project he was developing was actually a movie about the Hatfields and McCoys. Wow. Jim also said, I'm just now learning behind the camera. I want to write, direct, produce, and act. I want to do it all. And this is him on his deathbed. Yeah. Jim regained enough strength to attend the premiere of Toy Story 2 at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood on November 13th, 1999. Interesting side note, Mary Kay Bergman, who provided Jesse's yodeling in the movie, died two days earlier. Wow. Jim's appearance was unrecognizable. The cancer medication caused swelling in his face. His cheeks were full. His pale complexion made his blue eyes stand out dramatically. He had a gray goatee and wore a black fedora to cover his bald head and a dangling gold earring. Do you have the photo? Yeah, he looks so different. Yeah. You would never think that was Jim Varney. No. If you weren't told. And that's the picture they use of him like as like his IMDb picture. Yeah. And Google. I'm like, Uh what is going on? It's morbid. Yeah. Janie, his ex-wife and assistant... And friend, I presume. And his attorney, Hoot Gibson. That's an attorney name. That's a hoot. Yeah. (laughs) This is, remember, (laughs) 
from the judge, south. Will the judge uh, <laughs> show that Hoot Gibson is my new lawyer? <laughs> so Janie and Hoot helped Jim walk through the crowd of onlookers and photographs as he entered the theater. Inside, Jim was greeted by celebrities and industry bigwigs like Michael Eisner. After sitting down, the lights dimmed, and Jim leaned over to Hoot and said, It's been a great adventure. Before the premiere, his battle with cancer was private. But with all the media there, people raised questions about his health. News outlets began reporting on his cancer diagnosis, and in response, Jim told them he had an encouraging prognosis. Months later, on February 9th, 2000, his nephew Justin, who wrote the book, and his mom and Jim's sister Sandy drove down to see him. When they arrived in the evening, Jim was sitting on a hospital bed that had been set up in his living room. He looked unbelievably frail. A hospice nurse came to check on him and then everyone went to sleep. Sandy continued to check on him throughout the night, but he wasn't saying much. At one point, Jim asked her if the window was open by his bed, and she told him, yes, it was. A couple hours later, he was dead at the age of 50. Man. A small funeral was held in Lexington with close friends and family members. His last acting credit was voicing the character of Cookie the Chef in Disney's Atlantis, The Lost Empire, released in 2001. And that movie is dedicated to his memory. Oh, wow. As was Daddy and Them, which unfortunately went straight to nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Blake Clark, another comedic actor and a friend of his, replaced Jim as the voice of Slinky Dog in Toy Story 3. Oh, wow. And they both actually appeared in the 1989 comedy called Fast Food. And I have a little clip. First of Jim voicing Slinky Dog and then Blake and him talking about replacing him. Wow. I knew you'd come back, Woody. Well, how you doing? <laughs> oh, I just to do, I've seen this guy. Do right by the role and do right by Jim. We were friends. I met him in 1980. I was working the door at the comedy store. Yeah, he was He was one of the... Um, He's from Kentucky and I'm from Georgia. And what's it called? So the the Redneck Comedy Tour with Je- Hi, Jeff Foxworthy. The kid's 17 years old. Yeah, we ain't ever getting played with. I try to picture in my mind Jim when I was doing the voice and try to, you know, talk like Jim. What time is it? Desiro, why don't you make some fudge? Andy threw us out. Okay, awesome. You know, Lee took me really by surprise, and I kind of choked up. He said, I think Jim would have been proud, so I didn't see that coming, and I got tears in my eyes. <laughs> Jim was uh, he's a good guy. Funny. Very, very funny man. Wow. Yeah, he's from, uh, he's the redneck guy and uh the water boy mm-hmm. and like he's in a oh bunch yeah of, yeah adam sandler movies yeah exactly 50 first dates yeah so yeah that's the jim varney story we have one last uh clip here oh yeah okay so this clip it's pretty morbid but i think i guess now would be a powerful time to play it this is a psa that jim varney did back in the 80s as the earnest character <coughs> gosh Vern. You trying to kill us all? 
walking around all the time with that weed hanging out of your mouth? Don't you know how deadly that thing is? You're just asking for a case of the big C, Cancer City, Chemotherapy Hotel. <coughs> I care about you, Vern. That's why I'm warning you. You better give up them cigarettes, buddy. Or the groundhogs will be bringing you your mail. Know what I mean? Oh, no. Know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> that is pretty... Uh pretty morbid yes yeah especially given the circumstances of what's about to happen in a couple of years yeah final thoughts what a life I, I i'm upset for him that you know he got sick when he did because he was already looking at his the next level mm-hmm. of, of his career which was going to yeah. be like great characters in powerful movies and and tv shows the golden age of tv shows you know there was a role for him somewhere absolutely oh, yeah. he could have come back and like you know you saw louis anderson come back uh, at some point during the, yeah. the golden age of television on that fx show mm-hmm. so it, anything was possible and he definitely would have come back yeah and it's 23 years later, he'd only be 73 now. He'd still be working. Yeah. If he wanted to. Pacino's like, he's he's, still, he's got 10 more years left. Yeah. He's, he's 100. They're going to be animating him in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. But, big grave. <laughs> I got my head all the way in it. <laughs> he's playing 50-year-olds in Scorsese movies. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, they're de-aging him. Yeah. Well, he's having kids like he's a fucking 20-year-old. I know. Well, that's the true. This guy's and, fucking more than me. And De Niro. <laughs> Both of them. De Niro's having one. Too. Oh God! Good, good, good. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> pretty, pretty good, good. But back to Jim. Yeah, yes. I, you know, I, it was <laughs> my formative years. Going to the movies was a really big deal for me. Yeah, because I didn't get to go to the movies every week in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Yeah, so I saw Ernest Scared Stupid, Beverly Hillbillies, and Toy Story in the theater, and they all made a big impact on me. I was a huge Jim Varney fan. Yeah. yeah. Toy Story was the only one I saw in theaters. I don't think I ever saw an Ernest movie in the theaters. Oof, you missed out. Yeah. I think I saw a couple. I just don't remember. I was uh, I was very blacked out on uh, booze at this time. <laughs> yeah. When I was nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we rented all the all the Ernest movies at Blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah, definitely big rentals. Mm-hmm. That was when, like, before Blockbuster uses their own Blockbuster, you know, box, you could actually see the, the Ernest box. When yeah, you the VHS that? actual yeah. cover, yeah. yeah. And then eventually they were just straight to video anyway. Yeah. yeah. So it was the same experience for people, except the movies had diminishing returns by the time yeah. you got to Africa. Yeah. I'm sure they broke even <laughs> in then some on all of these. And I think kids nowadays... I loving Ernest. He's coming back like really? Yeah, I've read that online uh, that like Ern- oh my Ern- daughter responds so much to the Ernest movies. He's and, having yeah. Ernestissance. I yeah, I was trying to figure <laughs> out that in my head too. Trying to do the math of how that would work out. Ernestissance. I guess that's the best way you can do it. Yeah. And Kyle, while we're safely removed from the bulk of the episode. Could you share with us the blind item that we found? Yes. A a big actor from the 80s and 90s had two short marriages but was bisexual. He and an A++++ musician met at a club in Los Angeles and had a one-night stand. Years later, when the actor was sick, he told some friends about it. It's reported that the actor had the same condition that killed the A++ musician, but this is not what actually killed him, nor does he think he got it from the singer, as their hookup was much earlier. 
if anybody understood what I was saying. Yeah. Dedos. Read between the lines. Make a guess. We'll give you three seconds. Okay. Boom, boom. Freddie Mercury and Jim Varney had a hookup in L.A., apparently, according to this blind item. Yes. That's a bombshell being dropped. Wow. What? What are the implications there? The implications are he had... HIV instead of cancer? No, not instead. Oh, in the addition, blind item, yeah, the blind item stated that he died from lung cancer. That the the HIV is not what killed him, but that he did oh, okay. have it. Right, right, right. Mm, it, so that's why he was sickly even before he was noticeably. Hey, I mean, okay. I don't know. He never had kids, which. I don't know what that means, but he did have two marriages. Yeah. And just like Freddie would stay friends with his ex ex girlfriends and stuff. Right. Bought a house mm. next door. And Jim then, was like, You'll just be my assistant forever. It's fine. Yeah, you're on my writing staff. Yeah. And then adding up all the jewelry and I mean it could. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong with yeah. it. You're wearing a watch right now. Yeah. I got it from a guy in Florida. <laughs> no, but Sounds it does, legit. It does explain a couple things. That's very believable. Yeah. That I mean, who cares? Too right. Yeah. Exactly. He was doing his thing, whatever. But clearly, kept those things private. And but if if nothing else, that's just a very interesting tidbit. Tidbit. I mean, it's a entire part of someone's life. If that's the case, like that right. is you know something. Obviously private, but it's another layer to this person. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm starting to understand him a lot more. The pain, the Yes. You know, the need to mask everything. Coming from a military veteran and a coal miner. Like who the boxed. Very, who boxed. Yeah. It's like It seems like his dad is like Chris Cooper in uh, American Beauty a little bit or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. He kinda looks like Chris Cooper also. Yeah. Which is kind of <laughs> spooky, doesn't he? Jim right. Barney? Kind of looks like Chris Cooper a little bit. He has bit. like that twang kind of. Too bad Chris Cooper wasn't acting when Jim Varney was young because he would have <laughs> saw the movie and been like, I look like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could see myself as an actor now. Like, you're already an actor, Jim. <laughs> but yeah, you know, really talented guy and kind of a sad life. Yeah. He seems like he would have been very cool to meet. Oh, yeah. Like that interviewer. You want to strangle that interviewer. Oh, he God. sucks. That wasn't that getting his jokes. But how would you love to sit down with Jim Varney? Yeah. And Jim Varney's just trying to crack you up. And and why wouldn't Letterman let him on just to kind of riff about See, stuff like that? That makes me angry. But he would have on people like uh, Paris Hilton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts here? I think that's it. We that's nailed it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Absolutely. Yes. I don't think we have a mailbag this week. That's uh, all right. We'll yeah, do it we'll, next time. We'll give you a mailbag next time. I know that's your favorite segment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a mailbag. In the meantime, go check us out on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Patreon. You can get a free, I repeat, free trial of our Patreon where we have so many things that you haven't been able to see or hear on yeah. Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube. So, yeah. And please leave us a review. Leave us a goddamn review. And give us five stars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And put I mean. some text in there on that review on iTunes because it really helps us. You know what I mean, Vern? Yes. And it's very easy to do on Spotify. You just click the stars, hit five, and that's it. 
after you listen to one episode, then they allow you to review. So, yeah. And then on Apple Podcasts, just write, great show, and then push enter. There you go. Yep. Okay? Nice and easy, all Thank right? you. Y'all come back now, you hear? Yeah. And until next time. Don't go dying on us. You have just heard... A true Hollywood... Shocker. I have never seen anything like this before. The movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures... Nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.